This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Kia ora whanau and welcome to Union's Manawatu Calling All Workers. My name is Jared Hare and I'm an organiser with Unite Union. You can contact Unite Union uh, best to our website, unite.org.nz, or email support at unite.org.nz. Today, I'm going to be discussing fair pay agreements. Hopefully, you've heard a bit about this in the news. Uh, The legislation to enable fair pay agreements has just been passed, and now it's all go. Uh, My union, Unite, mostly organising hospitality workers, Uh, is furiously gathering signatures from hospitality workers around the country uh, to initiate, that's to start, a uh, fair pay agreement covering all hospitality workers. So I just want to start with what is a fair pay agreement. Um, it's, It's In a sense it's new, but it's also actually quite an old concept. Back in the day, uh, and I'm talking before the Employment Contracts Act, Uh, of the early 90s, uh, workers were mostly covered by what was called an award system. So we've got minimum rates, we've got minimum wages, but they are minimum. I mean, it's literally the least your employer is legally allowed to pay you. Uh, Awards said, okay, for this type of job or this type of industry, uh, there's a minimum rate and minimum pay and minimum conditions uh, uh, that are above the legal minimum, the absolute least you can pay. And that's how most workers uh, actually had their paying conditions set. Crucially, for example, in the industry that I'm involved in, Unite's involved in, we had uh, things like penal rates, overtime. So a worker might not, their hourly rate might not be that high uh, before 1990. But if they're a hospitality worker, most of their work was done at night and particularly at weekends. So if they were earning, say, back then it was probably around six, seven, eight dollars an hour, um, that's not too much. But it, most of their work was probably done nights and weekends, so they'd get time and a half, 50% more or even double time. So the rate went up to $12 an hour or even $16 an hour, which was a good income back then. That all changed. The Employment Contracts Act, uh, brought in by the national government, uh, basically wiped out that award system. It wiped out, and particularly in the private sector, it wiped out a lot of unions uh, and a lot of union coverage. And what happened uh, is that they basically said that employment is just like any other contract, just like you have a contract with a builder or um, you have a a sales contract. It's pretty much the same as that. Uh, It was pretty unique in the world. It's very extreme. Around the world, and today, thank goodness, Employment is recognised as a special relationship deserving special uh, treatment and special protections, particularly for workers. And so that's been rolling back so for the last 20 years, rolling back that change. hadn't got it back altogether. And this, in a sense, is a really big step 
uh, to bring back that protection for workers and the recognition uh, that uh, workers uh, deserve to have some input into their uh, paying conditions and have some power to do so. The big problem, particularly in the private sector, is that union density in the private sector collapsed in, that, in the 90s. It went down from probably 30 to 40% in the 80s uh, down to it's around 8% now. So that's you know more than 9 out of 10 private sector workers don't belong to a union. And almost all of them don't belong not because they don't want to, not because they've been asked and refused to join, because there simply isn't a union which covers in their workplace or their employer. So that's the problem. <clears throat> and if you want an example, um, not from 20 or 30 years ago, you don't have to go far. Simply go across the Tasman. They have a system effectively like our old award system, effectively like the fair pay system that uh, we're looking to put in place now. And uh, if you know anyone who's been to Australia or anyone who's looked at jobs in Australia or worked in Australia, you'll be well aware that the rates over there generally are much higher. They are much higher. Now, why is that? Why is that? Why is it that a McDonald's worker over there, when McDonald's workers here were getting paid you know, $15 an hour, $12 an hour, $8 an hour, the rates in Australia for exactly the same work, for exactly the same work, were often... Uh, 50%, even 100% higher. Um, and also, they still had penal rates. They still had rates for working unsociable hours at night and weekends. And the reason is not because of the union, because the unions aren't particularly strong uh, in those sectors over there, actually. Um, the reason is because they have a system which says uh, that unions and employers have to bargain and negotiate a rate for the job a rate specific to that industry, a rate specific to that occupation. And because of that, uh, workers are able to get better pay and better conditions above what the law says your employer must pay the absolute least, all right? Above the minimum, the minimum legal. Uh, and so their rates are higher. Their conditions are better. It is as simple as that. So how is a fair pay agreement going to work in New Zealand? Well, it's similar to how unions and employers negotiate what are collective agreements now. Um, and certainly my union, and all unions do this. This is probably most of the work they do, is negotiating on behalf of groups of workers with their employer about paying conditions. There's a few key differences. Firstly, while there'll be union members involved, in most cases of fair pay agreements, the vast majority of workers who'll be covered and who will be uh, involved will not be union members. So they'll get to have a say. And for many of them, it'll be the first chance they've actually had to have a real say in their paying conditions. So that's good. Uh, secondly, uh, there'll be limits on what can be done. Like if in a union Normally, if you're bargaining and you can't reach agreement um, and you've tried mediation and other steps, one option is to have industrial action, to take strike action or other action, uh, to actually put pressure on the employer to come back to the bargaining table and reach an agreement. That won't happen under fair pay agreements. All right? That's not allowed under a fair pay agreements. 
And while you can argue that may limit uh, the ability to reach agreement, the trade-off for that is that if agreement can't be reached, basically uh, we will have what's called compulsory arbitration. It will go, if agreement can't be reached, it will go uh, to a employment court and they will make a decision as to what is a fair and reasonable um, set of paying conditions. So that's good. Um, now what's going to happen uh, in the next year? Um, where the CTU has got, uh, it's the Council of Trade Unions, which most of the bigger, all the bigger unions and almost all unions belong to, including Unite, is going to have a uh, five areas we're going to focus on uh, for fair pay agreements. As I said, hospitality, got security, bus drivers, cleaners, early childhood teachers. So um, different groups. And the reason why they have been chosen is uh, mainly because um, there is a problem, a uh, specific problem for many unions, which is that even though they negotiate with an employer – uh, to get good pay and conditions. And even the employer may be willing uh, to pay that or at least willing to agree to pay that. One of the pressures employers face is the competition from uh, other employers. They're competing. That's capitalism. That's the way it works. They're competing against other employers. And if other employers don't have unionised workforces, aren't bargaining collectively, um, then what happens is we have a, what's called the race to the bottom. We've seen this most clearly with bus drivers, bus pay, which is only just getting fixed now, where pretty much most of the income from uh, the bus industry was through regional councils who had contracts to run local bus services. Uh, the problem was the regional councils, uh, because they weren't providing themselves, they were contracting out, they were simply looking for the lowest price. And in fact, some would argue they, they were required to look at the lowest price. So what happens is to get the contract, which is worth a huge amount of money, the, the bus companies would simply uh, undercut each other. And most industries, um, most find that the way they can, the biggest cost is labour. So if you're going to cut prices, you have to cut labour costs. Unite, uh, a few years ago, was involved in the security industry, which is another area that the uh, fair pay agreements, the first uh, tranche of fair pay agreements will, will cover. And we saw this absolutely. We were negotiating with the bigger companies um, and they were being uh, mercilessly undercut because it's very easy to set up a security company. You don't need lots of money. and So what would happen is cowboys would come, they'd set up a security company. I think we've seen some examples of this, uh, high-profile examples in Rotorua and other places. And they'd set it up and they would um, very simply uh, undercut. Uh, their costs were lower and that also there was higher use of migrant workers. Um, and often those workers, they'd be getting enough pay, but the way they got their pay was not through a decent wage. They'd be working 60, 70 hours a week. That's how they got enough to live on. And that was very common. Health and safety, nightmare. Um, you maybe may have remembered the story of a, a young boy, first note on the job, sent out on his own, no proper training, no proper equipment, no communication equipment, was killed by a burglar, by someone breaking into the place he was guarding. Uh, that, that's, you know, that's the result of that. 
So the race to the bottom, it's a real problem. It's a huge problem. Um, and so a lot of these fair pay agreements, uh, particularly like in supermarkets, which is another one, security, as I said, bus drivers, cleaners, the, one of the key drivers of it is to uh, make sure that the cowboys, those who are undercutting, those who who are quite willing to uh, pay the lowest wage, even sometimes below minimum wage, that's not unusual at all, uh, and ruthlessly cut wages and conditions, they don't set the rate for everyone. So that employers who are actually willing to negotiate, who want to pay a decent pay rate, a decent living wage, uh, aren't forced uh, to cut their own paying wages. That is a huge problem. For United, it's a bit different. We've been negotiating. It's, it's, that is a problem as well. But for us, our frustration is that where we organise, um, we do, we have improved things. We've The key is pay, um, pay increases, not just the starting rate, but what happens after you've been there six months? What happens after you've been there a year? Uh, conditions, particularly hours of work. Some of you may have remember we ran a campaign about five years ago for, to end zero hours. This is where people would be expected to work 20, 30, 40 hours a week, but uh, not guaranteed any hours. Their boss could simply say, no, no work this week, or yeah, I know you worked 40 hours last week, but you can only work 10 hours this week. And it wasn't just about varying the, the hours. It was also used as a weapon. If someone complained, uh, if someone, uh, the boss took a disliking to them, they'd slash their hours, a huge amount of power that put in the hands of employers to control workers and punish workers unfairly. So uh, we want in Unite with the hospitality, the key is to actually extend what we've gained in our organised workplaces, which are mostly larger hotel chains, cinemas, uh, the large fast food chains, McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, KFC, Carl's Jr., Pizza Hut, uh, Taco Bell. Uh, those are the chains where we have a union coverage, we have agreements, and it's not perfect. I'm not going to pretend it's all honky-dory there, but what it is is that we have, people do have uh, proper pay. They get paid properly. They get their holidays, their annual leave. They get breaks. It's an ongoing battle, but largely we have achieved that there. What we've discovered and what we've learned over the years is that in the rest of hospitality, and we're talking massive, a massive uh, industry here. We estimate possibly a hundred thousand workers, twenty to twenty-five thousand employers, separate employers. Is that there are huge problems uh, in hospitality, and people do not uh, get the basics. In a sense, the problem is is not so much uh, that we bargaining in hospitality uh, to get what's above the minimum. One of the big problems in hospitality is that workers aren't even get the legal minimums. Um, and that was the case before we started organising in the, in the sites we have. The major impact we've had as a union hasn't been on increasing uh, pay rates above the, the minimum. Uh, we have done that. Uh, what a huge part of our work is simply making sure what should be happening already does actually happen. Just because the law says it should happen doesn't mean it will, particularly in workplaces, particularly where you've got industries uh, lots of young workers, very high turnover. We're talking 70, 80, 90, 100%, probably even higher at the moment uh, with the way the labour market is at the moment. What does that mean? That means at, you start the year with uh, nine co-workers, ten co-workers. By the end of the year, there may be only one or two or three 
who are still there. Because the reality is uh, the pay and conditions are so problematic that the way people deal with problems at work is to quit and go get another one. And that solves it for them. But of course, as I, we always say to workers, that's one way to, to, to solve your problem, but here's, here's the issue. What happens to the person who comes and fills your job? They're going to have exactly the same problems. And what about the job you're going into, which was probably vacated by someone else who quit because they are, they are pissed off at, the, at what their employer was doing or the lack of paying conditions? So uh, that's not an answer, right? The answer is to fix it. The answer is to do something about it. And with no union coverage, it's extremely hard. With no union uh, organisation, because, I mean, it's, we have organised big sites, big chains. Uh, it's hard, and we were, you know, world-breaking, break, actually. You know, we, I think we were the first union to have a um, collective agreement, a voluntary collective agreement with McDonald's in the world. There are other collective agreements, but they were mandated by the law. McDonald's was forced by the law, particularly in Europe, to actually negotiate. We were the first union in the world to actually be able to force them to negotiate uh, uh, simply through the organising power of the workers. Um, so it's hard. It's hard work. Organising lots of little cafes and restaurants, almost impossible. Almost impossible. You know, Hopefully there will be a way, but the first step is to make sure that uh, workers, A, get the basics uh, and that they, be, they become aware that, yeah, Working together with your workmates, with other workers, can actually um, have positive returns. Now, one of the pushbacks that you'll hear often about fair pay agreements, and you can hear a lot more of it next year, particularly in election year, is that you know unions are just we're just self-serving, and we're creating problems where there are no problems. Workers and employers should be able to sort it out. Um, well, you know. There, that simply isn't the case. And in hospitality in particular, in particular, uh, there are massive problems. And they'll talk, oh, yes, there's one or two bad employees. You always hear this. Well, AUT um, in Auckland has done some excellent research, and it backs up exactly what our view is, uh, that this is not about, absolutely not about, a few bad apples. The research is damning. A uh, huge survey they did of hospitality workers. It's ongoing. And um, it is uh, showing, it, it reinforces exactly what we, we know uh, is going on. So they did in-depth study with 396 hospitality workers. They found 16% had not signed an employment agreement before starting work. 16%. That's a basic. They didn't even have a, a, a contract before they started work. 13% weren't in, in receiving pay slips. That's an old problem. 18% were not receiving the minimum wage. 18%, nearly one in five, wasn't even getting the minimum wage. All right? That is wage theft. Their wages were being stolen by the employer. One in five hospitality workers. That's not a few bad apples. That is a massive problem. 22% didn't get the correct holiday pay. Again, very common. 22% not getting time off or correct pay for working public holidays. <laughs> Absolutely. These are all issues we have battled on for uh, 20 years and, and largely resolved on union sites, but we know out there there's literally tens of thousands of workers who are still uh, getting ripped off, quite frankly. 22% were not 
receiving the correct rest breaks. Yep. Rest breaks, a lot of hospitality employees seem to think that's something optional. People will get the rest breaks if it's not too busy, you know. They'll get the rest breaks maybe a bit later. That's not it. Rest breaks are a health and safety issue and the law stipulates when they should be taken. There can be flexibility. Let's not, you know, there's no, no harm in having flexibility. But when employers talk about flexibility, what they mean is you do what I say, not let's have a talk about maybe you could take your break a bit early or later. Um, not getting the break at all. You see, it's one thing for it to be have a really, really busy night and it'd be difficult for everyone to get their breaks. Uh, that's, that, that can happen. But what we hear and what we see is night after night, week after week, workers not getting their breaks. It's not about having a busy night. That's just understaffing. That's just ignoring basic health and safety. 81%, 81%, 8 out of 10 stated they received no training in their jobs. No training at all. 48% did not get opportunities for promotion. Absolutely. And this is, in a sense, it's more important than the starting rate. It's more important than the starting rate. Uh, because at least you've got the minimum wage generally, which sets the lower level. But what we see time and time again is workers have been there a year, two years, three years. Sometimes they are very skilled. They are much more productive than the people walking off the street. Much more productive. Sometimes they might be running a bar. They're managing other staff. They might have a, a liquor license. Um, and yet they might be a dollar, a dollar fifty above the minimum wage. And there's no process for them to get a promotion. There's no set rate. There's no um, uh, way that they know they can go and get a pay rise. Uh, that's one of the key things in our um, uh, employment agreements. That's what we do. We make sure that, yep, this is the starting rate. How do you get a pay increase? Often it's linked to training. That's fine. That's good. But then you've got to have access to the training. That's the key. Uh, owners and managers responsible for 40% of the harassment. Bullying, sexual harassment, huge issue. 49% witnessed harassment in the workplace. Um, health and safety risks, 69% health and safety risks at their workplace. Only 10% belong to a union. A lot of them will be our members. Uh, some of them will be uh, a few other unions. Air 2 in particular has quite a few in, in, in some places. So that's, you know, that's not a few bad apples. That is widespread problems. And most of those are breaches of legal minimums, uh, which is serious, actually. It should be serious. But quite frankly, uh, it's the Labor Inspectorate's job largely to enforce that. But they are overwhelmed. There simply aren't enough of them. The ones that we know do a good job, but um, uh, it was reported a while back that 18%, 1.8%, less than 1 in 5 of the cases that were referred to them that the inspectors thought should be fully investigated were actually investigated. They've been focusing on migrant exploitation, absolutely. That's probably the worst of it, but it's not by it's by no means the only bit. And they simply haven't got enough. That's, that's why fair pay agreements can be uh, such a uh, huge change in the working lives of people because it will allow workers to organise themselves, to be clear about what they're entitled to, for the employer to know that they have to do this because a, a fair pay agreement once agreed and negotiated uh, has the force of law. It will have the force. You must do this. You must pay your workers this. 
you must put in place uh, what has been agreed. And if you don't, um, then uh, it will be a breach. A lot, very, in a similar way to not paying the minimum wage is a breach of, of the law. Not just about we agreed this contract and uh, um, and then you have to take them to the Employment Relations Authority and there's a, not what unions have to do with breaches of collective agreements. And that's okay because we can. We've organised, we've got resources to do that. But individual workers haven't got that. So um, that's the problem. It is a huge problem and it's time to change. And it's a good time to change uh, because uh, they're struggling for staff. The uh, hospitality employers have been caught um, because when there's a shortage of labour, those who pay the worst wages, those who have the worst conditions, the worst security, of course, they're going to be most hard hit. So quick, you know, just to finish, I want to go through what we want to achieve, the basics with the Hospitality Fair Pay Agreement. Um, we have yet to, the process will allow workers, all those tens of thousands of workers, to have an input into what they want. So this isn't what we'll, what we'll be negotiating, but this is what we know needs to change. There may be others, there may be different priorities. We want a living wage to start with. That's Currently that's twenty three sixty five an hour. You know, enough to live on. If people are working, they should be able to live on their wages. It's that simple. Regular pay increases, I talked about that. Not being stuck. There should be a process for having a regular pay increase. Secure hours. There is law, which Unite, my union was uh, fundamentally involved in getting the law changed. But actually, uh, it's it's honoured in the breach rather than the observance. Uh, what happens is that you're required to guarantee hours, but many hospitality workers still guaranteed, say, three or four hours, even though they're working 20 to 40 hours. Okay? Um, what we need is a process by which your regular hours that you actually work, you can. Uh, there's a process by which you can actually get those guaranteed so you know you can rely on that. Decent rosters. It's very common to have shifts with no end times. That's got to stop. Paid leave, make sure that happens. Rest breaks, I've talked about that. Proper bullying and sexual harassment processes. Proper health and safety reporting processes. And there'll be lots more. But that's what we want to do. That's what needs to happen. Uh, and uh, that's what Unite, the CTU, uh, Fair Pay Agreements, other unions want to make sure. So keep your eye out. You're going to be hearing a lot more in the next year about them. Fair Pay Agreements. If you're in hospitality, uh, this is your chance to make to to have real power and control over your paying conditions. Um, so, make contact hospo uh, fpa.nz is the special website we've got built. We're on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok too, I think, uh, Instagram. So get in there if you're in hospitality. Uh, make contact and get involved. It will make a difference, a huge difference. That's all I've got for today. Thank you. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.